Hello and welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. And please rate and review the show. A reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360 Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. I'm your host, William Liu, and I'm joined by producer and co-host Alex Wong. And uh, we also have a special guest, Alex. Yeah, we've got one of our favorites, James Herbert of CBS Sports, joining us. James, how are you, man? I am doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So did you get a chance, James, to watch uh, the Raptors' recent road trip where they went one and four? Uh, any key takeaways for you? Um, I, I didn't see every minute of it. I thought like 97% of that Nuggets game was quite exciting. I'll say that. Oh, that's it, eh? That's your whole takeaway from this road trip? That's, I think, the most memorable game of them. Um, look, I mean, I still when I think about the Raptors and like what they are post deadline, I'm probably more optimistic than you guys just because I really liked at least the way that Pirtle has fit in. I like the way the starting lineup has looked. Um, he did not, however, fix everything with the team. Um, the starting lineup is basically what their only good lineup right now, I think. Um, so there, there's some issues to be worked out, but I, I think the team is better than it was the last time we, we talked despite this, this little slide. Yeah, um, that was probably their best performance. Even though they lost that game, I think they've really just should have fully won that game. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think you're right. Like, definitely there are more positives to come out of this with, with Yak, and he doesn't fix everything. But at the same time, like, are you one of the people that believes the Raptors are better than their record? Because we saw Will Barton say that when he got signed. And whatever. Like, honestly, mm-hmm. you join a new team, you have to say everything. But it was noticeable that he was like, yeah, yeah, of course, this team is better than the record. Teams around the league fear the 32 and 36 <laughs> Yo, Raptors. He really said that, too. The second, uh, first so, James, game, do you right? fear the 32 and 36 Raptors? No, I don't think teams fear them, and I don't fear them. I, I think they are probably, like, by talent, they're better than the record. Yeah. I, I think all of us projected them to be better than this. Um, I think their, their, their ceiling was higher than what we've seen so far. Um, from this team, but I, you know, there's still some some holes on the team. This is not a super balanced team. This is not a super deep team, and all of that matters. Like I, I my main thing that I think I got wrong about the Raptors at the beginning of the year was I just thought they had more room for error than this. Like a lot of their games, it seems like if they, it can be just one stretch where the other team goes on a run, and then the Raptors like that kind of decides it. Um, it, I mean, you saw like. There's a reason, again, I, I was talking about like the per, the starting lineup with Pirtle in it. And like, there's a reason why nurses like lean so heavily into that is like, it actually works. Um, but then it's so easy for the team to not quite have um, enough spacing on the floor. It's so easy for the team to not quite have a functional defense. The identity has slipped away a little bit this year. And some of the sort of downsides of the style have become more obvious. But I mean, the upsides of the style are still there. And there's still some games where they look, quote unquote, like the Raptors and like the team that we, we thought they would be coming in. But um, yeah, it's like it, it's I guess it's more so like there it always feels like there's something being left on the table and there's something not quite right about how everything is clicking um compared to like the talent that they actually have because i think the talent like speaks to like um the idea that, like they're better than their record like the reality is that they have some flaws and that's why the record the way it is, is the way it is but i i do think um when they're at their best they look a lot better than their record yeah so uh what are you saying is will barn was lying when he said that um they're, they're better than the record. Is that what you're saying, James? 
He was saying exactly what he was supposed to say on oh, okay. Day, Alex. Um, so the Raptors are opening up a three-game homestand tonight. They're going to play the Denver Nuggets at home, and then OKC and, and Minnesota are coming in. And obviously, you know, Denver's on a bit of a slump right now. I believe they've lost three in a row here still at the top of the Western Conference. And so much of the talk, Will, around the Nuggets has been around Nikola Jokic, the MVP debate and whether the fact that he's going to get his third consecutive MVP. Uh, wanted to dive into it with, with the two of you. But first of all, Will, do, what do you think just about the overall debate around MVP? Because every year around this time, this is when we start narrowing down the candidates. We start picking apart, you know, their candidacy. And the, the conversation just goes in all these different directions. Like, how do you feel overall just about the debate around the most valuable player award? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've listened to a lot of basketball pods um, that have started to circle around and touch on this subject. The one thing people universally say, which I actually don't agree with, is just like, this conversation has gone too toxic. Like, why everyone's got to just settle down and just cool off. I'm like, no. Like, first off, this is the closest the NBA comes to politics, mm. you know? And I actually really enjoy this specific debate. It's like probably the best one that we have over the course of the season. And I mean best in terms of like the most important, the one that everyone's engaged in, right? You say MVP debate, even if it's a Raptor show, even no, even though no Raptor is anywhere close to this MVP debate, um, you know, people want to tune in. But I, I think that like the characterization of it as being like too polarized for me, I'm like, no, it should be like, it should be people fighting very fiercely for it. And we should look for small details. Like if the the ultimate outcome of this whole debate is that we have very detailed footage of Nikola Jokic getting dissected by the San Antonio Spurs, <laughs> then what that means ultimately is that people have watched a lot of film, which is a good thing. You know, people watching ball is a good thing. So actually, I'm actually I'm, I'm in favor of it. I'm, I'm really looking forward to entertaining it. This is a really good MVP race as well. We have three amazing candidates. Um, and yeah, for me, I'm just, I'm just thinking about, okay, I want to hear at least one like really convincing argument for each guy. Right, because I think you can, right now, if either of the three of them won, I'd be pretty happy with it. And by the way, the three is very obvious. It's Giannis, it's Jokic, and it's Embiid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're definitely going to dive into that. Um, and, you know, the, the NBA announced this week, uh, Shams from The Athletic, reported that the NBA and the Players Association are actually on advanced discussions on the next collective bargaining agreement to agree on a step stipulation where a player has to play in a minimum number of regular season games to be eligible for any major awards. There hasn't been a report on exactly what that number is going to be. Right. But what I want to know from you, James, is like when you're looking at specifically the MVP award, like are there non-negotiables for you in terms of, say, games played or where the, you know, that player's team ends up in the standings or does the player need to have a two-way impact? Like what are the things that you use when, when you start assessing these MVP candidates? I think all that stuff matters to a degree I, I but i also think this sort of news about the nba maybe coming up with a games played minimum it's sort of like a solution in search of a problem um they'll probably try to say this is tied to like load management and trying to incentivize players to not rest and and all of that stuff but i don't really recall um a lot of times where we've been talking about these major awards and somebody who's only played in like half the games is actually a serious contender for an award usually there's like some fringe media members who might you know, if it's like rookie of the year or something like that, and the guy misses half the season, but is clearly the best player, like, okay, like maybe some people will pick that, that player to win um, rookie of the year. But I mean, when, you know, 
Malcolm Brogdon won over Joel Embiid like for that for that reason, right? Um, there were other times where um, you know that has come up a little bit, um, but I mean, for me, it's more so like if I'm looking at games played um, and like total minutes played and all of that, it's like a differentiator at the end when you have um, multiple candidates that are really, really close um, where you might look at that. The guys who have missed big chunks of the season, like they're probably just not serious candidates. Like if you go and look at like Kevin Durant's numbers, and the minutes that he's played or Stephen Curry's numbers, like they've played an MVP level. Like you didn't mention those guys as serious candidates. So I don't think it's actually a problem. Um, as for two-way impact and the rest of it, I, 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 I think all that matters, but um, it's not like a guy has to be at worst um, a neutral defender to be an MVP. We've seen like MVPs in the past be flat out bad on defense and, and they've won and they've deserved it. But it matters if the other guy is just as good offensively. And by the way, like great defensively too. Um, I think you just have to kind of look at each year as its own individual thing, really. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I'm really curious to see what that number is. You know, like you guys, um, if it's like 65, I think it probably should come around like in that sixty range, somewhere in that sixty range. Demar, remember Demar? He's just like offhandedly said you should have to play in seventy-eight games. That's very convenient, <laughs> Demar, because you were a lot of games. He was the Iron Man for a long time in Toronto. He just never got hurt, um, except for that one year where he slipped against Dallas in twenty fifteen. Um, no, but like I actually I, I like this move. I think mm. it's a concession from both the league and even the players to say like, okay, look, all fair is fair, right? You want to load manage, then you're out of the award. Talk. I mean, I think to James's point, people weren't really like. It's not like we were giving Kawhi the MVP outside mm-hmm. of Finals MVP. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like I, I do see like both sides at least converging on this, and it's the most sensible solution. Um, I feel like we should give it a name though, right? Because like if it's like the Derrick Rose rule or like the Larry Bird exception, like what's this exception should be called? Is it the Joel Embiid exception? Is that the Brian Windhorse exception? <laughs> Yo, we might have the to assign collective? it to Wendy. <laughs> no, because this is like essentially built around the hoop collective last year. They had a huge debate about this where Tim Bontemps eventually snapped and, and called uh, <laughs> yeah, Brian right. Windhorse. Did you call him a jackass? Uh, yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. No, I was literally, not basically. That was what he called him. <laughs> oh, okay, great. <laughs> no, that's amazing. Well, well, well the, dimension, the athletic did mention that, you know, one of the precedents is that you have to appear in at least 58 games to qualify 58? for the scoring title. Okay. So fifty-eight. Does that sound? Doesn't that sound low to you guys, though, for an MVP? I feel like it's got to be in the sixties. Yeah, th- yeah is, but that's why that like nobody critical? ever makes like none of the MVP winners have ever only played fifty-eight, fifty-nine, sixty that's games. Fair. Really, like yeah. if you look at it, I just I I think the voters kind of take care of that on their own. Yeah, no, that's fair. And uh, Blake Murphy made a made a good point this week too about how. You know, instead of games played, um, should look at just total minutes as well, right? Because sometimes mm-hmm. that that might be a better indicator of obviously impact on the court. But next MVP is coming from the Raptors, then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're, they're gonna have to crawl to the podium to get their award. Yeah, there should be like an endurance award or something. No, man, man. they're gonna use that award to to sue Nick Nurse, man, for the minutes played. The Nick Nurse, Kemba, yo, the Kemba Walker yo, exception. Nurse, a coach named Nurse getting a medical lawsuit would be so funny, man. From uh, his own players. All right, let's get to this MVP discussion. So just to set the stage, so uh, Tim Bontemps from the aforementioned uh, Hoops Collective podcast and, and from ESPN does this uh, straw poll now throughout the season. And uh, the last one that he did in mid-February, Nikola Jokic was the runaway leader. He 
got 77 out of the 100 first place votes out of all the people that Bontemps talked to. And Giannis Antetokounmpo and Joel Embiid were far behind, second and third. I feel like things have changed a little bit. Um, Don't know what you guys think. Uh, Maybe I'll start with you, James. Let's start with Nikola Jokic. Um, What is your case for, for Nikola Jokic? Yeah, I think it's a really strong case. All these guys have strong cases, but I mean, a bunch of superstar offensive players. Jokic does it a little differently. It's sort of like, you know, you know, Steph. Like when when he um, is at his best, when he's healthy, he's always an MVP candidate, and it's because he can do the sort of traditional superstar thing, or heavy usage, making insane, difficult one-on-one plays, and all of that. But he can dominate without dominate games without even doing that. Like the Nuggets' offense. Um, with Jokic on the court is absolutely insane. Like they're scoring like 124.4 per 100, which even in the context of this scoring boom is like otherworldly. Part of that is he himself is like the most efficient star offensive player in the league in terms of his own scoring. But a lot of it is because he's one of the best passers that's ever lived as well. Uh, So teams are a little more hesitant to double team him than some other guys who are on his level because he picks apart those double teams better than anybody else. Defensively, you know, there are some glaring limitations. Uh, There are also some boring strengths that he has. Like he's a really good defensive rebounder. He doesn't foul. His anticipation is really good. He has quick hands. Um, Weirdly, like uh, I think this might surprise some people, but according to cleaning the glass, which takes out garbage time, takes out heaves and that kind of thing. Denver's defense with Jokic on the court is virtually identical um, to the Sixers defense with Embiid on the court. Um, and the teams have virtually identical records. Like Jokic is individually not an awesome defender. I think he's something like an average one who has some strengths, but the team has to kind of account for those strengths with scheme. Um, but the the defense has been way better with him on the court than without. This is a guy who's a two-time MVP that's gotten even better this season Um, he was elevating a kind of subpar supporting cast last year and had one of the most impressive seasons I've ever seen this year. It's looked different because he's been elevating a better supporting cast, which means he's taking fewer shots, but his efficiency is even better. It's completely nuts. Uh, He's missed fewer games um, than the other guys. He gets way more assists than the other guys. He's just been uh, absurdly efficient. Um, and the Nuggets have been awesome uh, as a team. Like they, they have the third best record in the league. They have the number two offense, and like that, everything they do in that offense revolves around Jokic. Yeah, James. I, I my question to you would be: Do you think, putting aside the actual MVP element, do you think Jokic is the best offensive player in the league this season? Yeah, is that there, part. Is like, there even I a can, debate over that? I, 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 you can have the debate. I don't think he's been the best scorer in the league. And if okay. you see that as like the primary determiner, like determination, determining factor of who's the best offensive player, then okay. But to me, it's not a question of whether or not he can score as well as anybody. I mean, go look what he did last year. Like this is because of the context that he's in, that he's taking fewer shots. To me, it's basically been kind of a, a perfect synthesis of like the way that he was playing last year. Um, and the way that he did beforehand, like before Jamal Murray um, got hurt, even before they got like Aaron Gordon uh, on the team, like the, the, he's playing a more similar role to the one that, that he was playing a couple of years ago, um, but he's just doing it better. <laughs> he's, he's just, he's playing. I mean, to me, it's as impressive um, as any, you know, MVP caliber season we've seen in recent years. They get a good look virtually every time down the court when when he is on the floor. They don't always make it, and it's not always him that is like, 
getting the assist or taking the shot, but like he just he's making everything happen and he makes his teammates better in such an obvious way in terms of um, opening things up for them, just like guys cutting off the ball and understanding that like if they do that, they will be rewarded because he will find them like they are able to play a certain way offensively. Other guys are able to get open looks wide open threes or like good shooters like Michael Porter Jr. that in other contexts, like he's not getting those looks because teams don't want to leave them. They don't want to leave them, but they end up having to. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jokic just places those passes so perfectly. I just, to me, there's a, absolutely there's a debate about who's MVP. Like, like, and you can have the debate over who's the best offensive player, but like it's pretty clear he's the best offensive player in the NBA right now. The guy who has a case um, would be Stephen Curry, but he hasn't had that type of season just because he hasn't been as healthy. Right. I mean, look, I, I think Joel should be in, in that case as well, especially as the best score. I mean, he's leading the league in scoring. He's scoring like nine points more per game than Jokic. And Jokic is very efficient. I mean, uh, we're looking at essentially 25 points per game at 70% true shooting, which is nuts. 70% true shooting is like reserved for like the DeAndre Jordans of the world who are just strictly dunking at the rim. I think Nick Claxton was up at 70 at some point this season. He kind of fell off with guys sort of getting out of that of that team in Brooklyn. But like that's how efficient he is. And of course, those are all like extremely self-generated looks for himself as well. In addition to the fact that he's got 10 assists per game, which is just absurd. I, I, I think he's going to be like, he's like the only center that I've ever watched. And I've only watched for like, you know, 20 years, but like, Anyone who's even even close to twenty or to ten assists per game. I mean, like a good passing center back in the day was like five assists for Marcus Gasol, five assists for Joakim Noah. Ten is just absolutely mm-hmm. absurd, even when you factor in like the overall inflation and in offense. I mean, I think he also definitely has the best plus minus case, which I feel like at this point is um, a, an argument people don't really want to hear about, but I think it's relevant in this case. So he's the Nuggets are plus twelve point seven points per hundred possessions when he is on the court. Um, and the net rating of sort of when he's on versus when he's off is plus 23.5, which obviously does bake in the idea that the bench is not nearly as good. They haven't had a backup center to sort of really spell Jokic. So you having a bad backup shouldn't necessarily give you more points in terms of just you as a player. However, I think it has to be said that they're still able to be the number one seed in the Western Conference, and he's able to overcome that because of the fact that he's been really great. And listen, when you look at the on-off numbers, that's probably why when you think about the more advanced metrics that people, you know, like to make fun of, you know, the you know, even a guy who's a stat head like uh, like um Zach Lowe would say like the Borps and the Schwarps, a lot of those stats bake in sort of on-off metrics into those. Now, of course, they have more uh focused ones that are um, you know, that factor in lineups, factor in more, you know, other factors as well, you know, factor in luck, things like that, schedules. So it's not as simple as, you know, plus minus. But at the same time, like, this is the bigger proportion that sort of puts Jokic from clearly he's having an amazing season to, like, historically, when you look at some of these numbers, the more advanced metrics will happen more elevated because of the, the, the plus minus impact is just so strong with him. And I think, look, it's, it's worth mentioning that, like, he's only missed eight games. That's a lot less than Giannis mm-hmm. and Embiid have missed so far. And the Nuggets are three and five when he's not in the lineup. I think that's where when you look at the Bucks, for example, with Giannis in the lineup, um, he's missed uh, 14 games. They're eight and six when he's absent. And with Joel Embiid, he's missed 13 games so far. The, the 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 Sixers are nine and four with with Embiid out of the lineup, which is not to say that those teams are better without those players. Which is to, but it it is to say that Jokic has missed a few of his games, and when he is out of the lineups, his teams have missed him the most. So I think that does bake into the value portion. Um, 
James, I want to hear your thoughts on Joel Embiid because I feel like for me, he's the one that's really making that strong push, at least in this specific week. Hit a game winner. I mean, the stats are just absurd. I think he's had three games all season where he scored less than 25 points. Like, it's so good. <laughs> um, yeah, talk to me about Joel, man. Yeah, I mean, he's dominant. This is a force. This is an enormous center who was leading the league in scoring on crazy efficiency, just a ridiculously skilled player who poses all sorts of problems. If he's catching the ball in the nail and facing you up like Dirk, there's very little that you can do. And then also, by the way, like when he's playing the two-man game with Harden, like that's been pretty much unstoppable as well. Uh, he's actually turned the ball over less than Jokic this mm. season. He's not the same kind of passer. Jokic is obviously, but I mean, you can argue his sheer production with the ball in his hands is just as impressive as all the stuff we were talking about with Jokic. Um, you know, he's shooting like 50% on his long twos, Man. and a lot of those are with a hand right in his face. Um, that That's very difficult to do. Uh, Philadelphia has okay personnel on defense, right? Like they have some good defenders. De'Anthony Melton started for a lot of the year, not right now. Um, PJ Tucker, obviously a top level defender, but it's not great personnel and they're they're ninth in the league in defense largely because of Embiid and he's one of the best drop big man defenders in the game like he really affects not only like the percentage like of the field goal percentage guys shooting around him near the rim but also just opponents willingness to go and attack like he deters shots around the rim because he's so imposing down there um like you, you mentioned he, Jokic has a pretty sizable advantage in terms of just the, the sheer amount of games that he's played because he's he's missed so few, but he's averaging more minutes. Like he's averaging like thirty five minutes a game, which makes up for some of that gap. If you if you want to look at total minutes um, instead, um, yeah, I mean th- this offense is like what it's it's the third best offense in the league. The Nuggets are are number two. So uh, as you know, even though I'm extolling the virtues of everything Jokic is doing as a as a passer, as a guy who's creating all this stuff for for other players, like, well, the Sixers offense is really good, too, even if it's less kind of beautiful. Um, there is a difference if you just look. I'm not even talking on off, just on like the Nuggets offense with Jokic on has been like five point per possessions about better than the Sixers offense with Embiid on like that is just kind of on another level but the Sixers offense has been really good like the the real problem for the Sixers has been when Embiid has not been on the court um this year um which has always been the issue for them kind of kind of on both ends right so I mean it, it he's a very like deserving MVP candidate and I think you know if you look at the history of the award like it it has gotten to the scoring leader um numerous times his his usage rate is crazy um, and his efficiency is higher than like, I'm sure we'll get to Giannis next, but like Embiid is meaningfully has been meaningfully more efficient than Giannis this season, partially because he's just a different type of offensive player. Like he, he has the brute force part of his game, but like the skill, I mean, he, he has legit like guard stuff mm-hmm. in his game. Um, he just happens to like, kind of look like Shaq. Yeah. I mean, interesting thing with, with Embiid, um, I just don't remember another center who was like the go-to closer. You know, like even historically, like it's very rare to see that, right? And and like part of that's the struggle in Toronto, for example. Like Pascal struggles to do that. Of course, he's more wing oriented than just being a big. But at the same time, like someone that big, who also has made so many clutch shots this season, like James, is there a historical precedent for that? Because that feels very unique to me. Uh, I mean, I, like the guy I think of is Dirk, who's a seven footer. But again, okay. like yeah, he is not as big in terms of strength. He's just tall. Right. And that's the thing about Embiid is like the combination of size and skill. Uh, I mean, in some way, like people don't like to, 
I don't when they talk about unicorns and all of that, like I don't think he gets in that category. But I mean, it's you know this stuff started with like Dirk and KG and all of that, and bigs are getting more skilled by seemingly the day. And Embiid is like a product of, of all of that, right? Like he is kind of an evolutionary version of sort of, sort of a KG. Maybe he's like studying Kobe. He's studying Dirk. He's mm-hmm. studying Hakeem. He's blending it all into this one, like really unstoppable offensive package. And he, that's why he's like, you know, he's a meaningfully different player than he was a couple of years ago too. Cause yeah. he used to be primarily a post-up guy. He can still go down in the post, but he does a lot more of his damage in the mid post. And since Harden has arrived, he's done a lot more of his damage in the pick and roll. Yeah. No, I mean, honestly, that's like the one guy I would never want to be closing out against right now with Embiid. I mean, we saw that last year against Toronto, like, you know, game three. We don't want to revisit all that, but it's a big factor for me. Yeah, I think there's a huge narrative. I think I think Joel might have a huge narrative push down the stretch, too, because, like, obviously we know Jokic and Giannis have both won the two MVPs, and, like, Embiid was very outspoken, you know, especially last year because he's finished runner-up the last two years. And you look at all the numbers that you guys are talk- talking about, and the Sixers have the Sixers have like the most difficult schedule, I think, down the stretch of the East teams, and they're still winning all of these games. And then you think about like the forty-seven and eighteen that he put on Jokic the first time that they matched up, and like they he still got a game against Denver. He still he still got big games down the stretch against teams like Milwaukee and Boston as they're fighting for seeding. So I feel like just from a narrative standpoint too. Embiid has the most room to 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 kind of move up, in my opinion, for like the rest of the season. Because like even though like the the last straw poll had him as like a runaway, I actually think it's a lot closer now. And, and and if I were and if I were to predict, like I feel like if Embiid can finish strong and like have these couple signature performances, it actually might push him over Jokic for for the MVP. I mean, it's it interesting. Like, it feels like the straw poll because I, I feel like a lot of people thought. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I feel like a lot of people saw the straw poll and they thought that, well, the whole media thinks that this is a landslide. And I think what could have actually happened was just a majority of media thought that Jokic had a slight edge <laughs> and that it was still mm. actually close. And that's where most of the people that I talked to stood then. And most of the people I talk to now still think this is really close. So even if you think um, Jokic is still the the MVP, it, it doesn't mean that Giannis... Um, is like way behind him or Embiid is way behind him. And I'm not sure that most individual people, if you had asked them, like if you had asked them, was this like a, a difficult decision or is this close or is this over? You know, I, I don't think that the response he would have gotten from a lot of people is like, oh yeah, Jokic has this wrapped up. But I think when people saw the results, it was like, oh, Jokic has this wrapped up. And I, I think that was just not true. And I think even now a lot of people are torn and there's certainly enough time um, for these other guys to make their cases. Maybe it's too late for like a, a Luca or a Tatum who were in this conversation like in near the front of it earlier to reinsert themselves. I don't know. Um, but I think certainly like a lot of people are struggling to kind of pick nits between these three. Yeah. Well, I mean, what about Giannis? Um, he feels like he strikes more of the balance between the two of them, scores more than um, Jokic, um, plays more on the wing but also is a big I mean it's I think it's notable to me that all three of these guys are just like physical anomalies like no, there are n- very few teams where they go up against and there's a physical matchup for them right and I think in, in big part that's a huge part of all three of their guys successes in addition to their skill set um yeah what's the case for for Giannis James 
Well, for one, and shout out to Nikias Duncan who tweeted this. Um, listen to the Dunker Spot Pod if you don't. The Bucks have won seventy five percent of the games in which Giannis has played this year, including most recently a sixteen game winning streak. Offensively, you know there have been more asked of Giannis this year than any season of his career. Um, he is leading the league in, in usage, thirty seven and a half percent. His efficiency is down compared to past years, but it's still good. Like it's about sixty percent true shooting for a guy carrying an enormous load because he's barely had Middleton next to him. I uh, missed Drew Holiday for significant stretches of this season. That meant a lot more, you know, playmaking for himself, taking more shots. It also meant a lot of playmaking for others as, as the primary guy when he hasn't always been that dude um, for them in recent seasons, like for a good reason, right? Like they have had a, so much success uh, in fourth quarters and, you know, especially on their championship run, using Giannis as a screener and having Middleton and Drew Holiday um, kind of initiating the offense so teams can't just so easily build build a wall against Giannis and they get paint touches that way. So much good stuff happens. Like they've had to get a little bit more uncomfortable this year and Giannis has had to play a little bit more like he used to and they've still been a great team. Um, you've seen as they've gotten more whole, they've gone on a run. He has been more efficient. Uh, they, you've seen them kind of make this streak up the standings. Um, so I, I think you can kind of look at Giannis's season and say that he's been willing to do like absolutely whatever the team has needed on the offensive end. And then, oh, by the way, he's this dominant defender on the best defensive team in the league, this insane rim protector. He can kind of switch and guard anybody if they want to play that way. They can have him guard up high in the pick and roll. They still drop him sometimes um, in, in in the pick and roll. Uh, he's just, he's really incredible. He's done a lot of heavy lifting uh, this season and the Bucks. I mean, you know, best record in the NBA. Uh, like again, if you look at the history of the MVP, like a lot of the time it goes to the best player on the best team, and there, that story is still to be written, right? O- over the rest of the season, Giannis has missed a couple games with his hand injury. Um, we'll see where Milwaukee ends up in the standings, but I mean, just based on his body of work so far, he's going to have a really strong case uh with his two-way production he's also like getting to the line more this year like he has had to take a lot of punishment he also inflicts a lot of punishment (laughs) on his opponents uh as well but but yeah it has been it has been really impressive work from him this year yeah I i think the thing for me with Giannis too is just like um I mean, I, I, I'm curious to hear where you guys would assess this, but who has the best supporting cast out of the three of these guys? Because sometimes I'm like, man, the Bucks really have really good, like, yeah, like a, I feel like they have the maybe the best system around them. I feel like Mike Budenholzer has really designed a really good defense that has held up for like five, six straight years now and is just consistently excellent. Um, but even their offensive environment, I feel like, is, is set up to be decent with how much they run, how much they get stops, and how strong they rebound. They break for the threes and stuff like that. I feel like... The, the system around him is good, but also at the same time, like he is 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 he working with the least amount of talent compared to the other two teams? Yeah, because who's the best second player? I would say James Harden, like out of all these three guys. I mean, but then, but then, is, there's a case. Yeah, a case. but I also think like, but then it's weird because like, oh, even if you say James Harden is is the best, you know, supporting player of these three guys, like, I don't think it kind of diminishes Embiid's case. No, but I think you it's a factor. I mean? It's always yeah. a factor, you know. Um, James, who who do you think has the best supporting cast? I think it's tough because um, you have to factor in injury too. Yeah, I think for sure. the Bucks, like the last time we saw Giannis, he had the best supporting cast because the team has been built around him. They have guys 
that do the stuff that he can't do. They have guys that compliment him because they just don't sign anyone who can't shoot really. And defensively, I mean, I'm calling him one of the best defenders on the planet, but also like, if you want to nitpick Giannis this year, he's on this awesome defensive team. That's partially awesome because of guys who were not Giannis. Like, they have Drew Holiday or Javon Carter pressuring the ball for 48 minutes every game. Mm. Brooke Lopez might win Defensive Player of the Year this year. And this year, they tilted their their sort of schemes away from um, the heavy rim protection with multiple guys that, that we've seen in the past. They still sometimes do that. They'll ignore bad shooters. Um, but they stay at home more than they did in the past, putting more on Lopez's shoulders as the kind of anchor of that defense, which is why from the beginning of the year... Uh, apart from, you know, the block numbers and stuff, we've been talking about Lopez as a potential defensive of the year candidate. Giannis has won that award in the past. He's incredible on that end, but I think he has an amazing defensive supporting cast. Mm -hmm. And then offensively, I mean, they they have some playmaking to help him. Uh, uh, Joe Ingles has been a really like just amazing fit on that team. And then, you know, Middleton and Drew, like just we've seen it. It works as a supporting cast room. The problem is that they haven't had all those guys all year. Exactly. Like they just yeah. haven't. So Giannis has been working in a less than ideal environment, um, particularly on the offensive end all year. You've seen that in their offensive numbers as a team as well. Um, but I mean, the fact that they've still been like this good on balance, despite that, like does speak to the kind of presence that Giannis is on both ends. So who, who has the worst one then? Like supporting cast. I ones. would say, honestly, I think the Sixers supporting cast, mm. Um, is the least like balanced. So that's probably the worst one. Like there's, there's a lot of lifting that Embiid has to do on both ends. Um, offensively, James Harden gifts them some like open 14 foot jumpers, um, the short roll and stuff like that. That has certainly helped. You, you saw his life change when they made that trade last year and they've only gotten better since then. But I mean, he still has to create a lot. It's still like when Harden is not on the court, um, they have a, they still have a good offense. It's not as great as it is. I think it's like 115 or so. Um, and that's basically with Embiid like, as the the focal point and the guy running the show. He doesn't run it in the same way that Jokic does, but you know, a lot is on his plate. And I think really, like, we don't often talk about supporting cast in terms of defense, but we should. And Jokic is, I mean, Embiid's defensive supporting cast is not awesome. Yeah. And they're in the top 10 on that end, largely because of him. That's fair. Yeah, damn. This is going to be a close race, I feel like. It should be. Like, I think of a voting. The final voting is actually going to be really close between the three. I mean, it should be. This is why I, I really like this debate. Like, I think mm-hmm. it's, like, one of the more interesting MVP debates that we've had. Um, you know, I'm almost looking at this like you got to pick a Pokemon starter, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, James, I don't know if you were a big Pokemon <laughs> fan, but this is, like, to me, Jokic is, like, the Charizard in the situation. You know, Joel Embiid, <laughs> I guess, is Squirtle, and Giannis is, is Bulbasaur. Um I know, I know producer JR is cracking up in the back, <laughs> or he's just sick of his, his ball talk. But no, I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it should be a, a healthy debate. And, like, what we've done here is, like, we've, we've had this debate. We didn't tear down anybody. And I just think that people should embrace that aspect of this, of this race. I mean, like, it's fun for me to see the propaganda videos. It's, it's, it's like a political campaign for each of the fan bases. So I actually That's really kinda, the best comp for, for MVP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, or maybe we do a Canadian political style. You know, James, I know you haven't been here in a while, but... You know, I'm sh- who is the NDP in this situation, if you had to pick? <laughs> uh, maybe Jokic? I don't know, that just feels he's the right NDP? But he's been winning, though. Mm. Wow. <laughs> You're about to just win for three straight elections. Mm. No, in terms of, like, style of play. Oh, oh, oh okay, right. sorry, gotcha, sorry, gotcha, sorry. Gotcha, gotcha, right. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I need to hear their stances on uh, universal health care. Let's before, never uh... make this show political. Um, anyways, <laughs> so as you guys, as, as it stands right now, obviously not the end of the season. Like, do you guys have out of these three players? Like, is there one player where you're like, this is the person? If I had a vote, like this is the MVP for me. For me, I'm leaning Embiid right now, personally. Mm. That's interesting. What about you, James? I'm leaning Jokic, but I think there's still time. I mean, as as you mentioned earlier, like the Nuggets are on a little slide right now. Jokic has looked a little bit more human recently. Like you've seen some games um, where, what do you take, eight shots against the Raptors? Something like that? Um, in terms yeah. of just pure field goal attempts. Like there has been, I, I thought at the beginning of the year, there, there were some games where you'd watch the Nuggets and some of that like passivity that you really didn't see at all last year because they couldn't afford it was kind of there again. And you're sort of like, I want you to... to shoot a little bit more and then that was gone for most of the the season but it's crept back in a little recently you know he, all season he's kind of turned down some three-point shots and worked to get other looks and stuff like that um and i think Embiid has probably made up some ground Giannis certainly before the injury just by virtue of how well the team was playing um he, he was making a case uh it's not really like Jokic has gotten any worse mm-hmm. um he's still absolutely incredible really hard to stop um but i mean even you know you see the the loss to the Spurs. You guys mentioned that that kind of clip that went viral of guys blowing past him on the pick and roll. Like yesterday, they lose to the Nets. It's a super close game. Um, Jamal Murray doesn't play the second half really, but like part of that, like the Nets' strategy is like spread them out, go small, um, make Jokic make multiple efforts on defense, um, kind of go at him a little bit. It doesn't always work. Sometimes teams get out of their like normal offense and flow trying to trying to target a guy like that. Um, teams, by the way, also will target and beat in pick and rolls. And sometimes that's why the Sixers give up threes. Like it's not just Jokic that gets targeted. Um, but I think everybody's kind of looking for um, nits to pick, especially with Jokic, because like for a lot of people, not me, but for a lot of people, they sort of think the burden of proof is higher to win after you've won twice in a row. Um, so people are going to be talking about that. I don't know how this will shake out. I kind of just want to see how all these guys play. But um, to me, just on balance, like their body of work over the course of the season, I still think just what Jokic has done offensively has been just slightly better, um, has made his case just slightly better than the other guys. But I mean, these are three absolute, like they're having, all the guys are having seasons that are better than some MVP winners that we've seen in, in recent years. Like they're, they're all fully deserving. And we said this last year too. And like, guess what this reflects? The NBA is in an awesome place. The talent is out of this world. If we can like have these conversations where we nitpick guys without talking about their flaws as if they're fundamental, or if you're kind of without calling people who are picking any one specific person, stupid for picking that person, then great. Like, there's a lot to celebrate with all of these guys here. Mm-hmm. Alex, what's your pick? I'm going to go with Embiid, too. I just think I agree with James in terms of, like, there's going to be a, I don't think it's fair, but, like, you know, there is going to be a lot of nitpicking with Jokic, like, between now and the end of the season. And I just think if Embiid keeps on going at this pace, it's just hard to ignore those numbers. And I do think, like, that the, the league best in scoring matters a lot. And, yeah, no, I just think when it's this close, sometimes some of those narrative differences and, and for Embiid to be able to make that push at the end. I, I think I think voters are going to lean towards Embiid if he keeps playing this way. So I'm going to go with Embiid. No, that's fair. All right. Well, James, we have uh, had a very healthy and productive conversation uh, about the MVP race. Not toxic. It's It was very non-toxic. It's very easy to just, like, highlight 
the cases for all these guys, it's very easy to make. And, you know, that's not to say that we can't criticize these guys. I think we did that too. But, um, man, it's, yeah, we're blessed. This is the most friendly Joel Embiid Raptor show episode that's uh, ever existed. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is, man. He's you can't deny greatness, man. Unfortunately, he is great. <laughs> ever since Mark, ever since Marcus All retired, there's literally been no physical matchup for this dude. Yeah, no, it's it's a uh... well. Actually, Aaron Baines actually had a good game against him oh, once, on. but that's different. That's All different. Right. It's in the past. <laughs> All right, James. Appreciate you as always. We'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. Uh, we'll talk to you when we come up with an idea to draft something later this season. Oh, you know you're our guy. <laughs> can't <man>. wait. <laughs> who's who's like a Love notorious? Thanks drafter? so much for having me, guys. I don't know. <laughs> It's like he's like Tommy Shepard. No, no, what? <laughs> I don't know. I guess you'd be our Messiah, really. Because Messiah's very good at drafting. Wow, that's high praise, man. Let's let's, let's, oh, dial, okay. that, let's right. dial that back. All right, right. you're you're Dan Tolzman's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. All right, oh, thanks. that's awesome. Thanks, James. Appreciate you. Thank you. Okay, we are going to take a quick break. Uh, I've been your host, Will Lou, and you've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Have you checked out Bet Rivers yet? Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Get in the action this basketball season with thousands of betting options. Plus, don't forget about Bet Rivers Sportsbook award winning customer service. It's a whole new game with Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook. Must be 19 plus, available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, William Liu. Continue to be joined producer and co-host, Alex Wong. Big thanks to James Herbert, the man of 11 spices and one MVP. One unspicy MVP, no, Nikola we Jokic. Have, we haven't had a good nickname this year for anything. Uh, you know, is it is it worse than Smack's Milk? We'll, we'll, we'll see. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think following up on that discussion, um, I, it's just interesting to me that, like, the league is in such an international place. Like, the fact that the top three MVP candidates are all non-American. I think that's also got to be a very unique thing. I mean, obviously, it's, it's been happening as soon as these three guys have hit their primes. But, yeah, for you, Alex, like, that, that's, that's got to be, that's got to be, like, um, not new in the sense that, obviously, MEPs in the past have been from outside of the States. But for the top three to definitively be internationals, um, I don't know. It's just says, to me, the league's in a good place. But I feel like for people in America, they're probably like, yo, what's going on? Like, this is our game. <laughs> yo, that's why it's getting political again, man. Um yeah. No, I think you're right. I, I think for like a couple of decades now, the NBA has really pushed this whole international, you know, agenda and being so proud that a lot of their top players are, are from there. I'm looking at like the history of MVPs, like, you know, outside of Dirk winning that MVP in, in 2007. Um, and that was that was the one where he got bounced in the first round, right? Yeah. That was the one where he lost to the Warriors. I mean, the Jokic I think got they had to fi- the first round. They had to find him like in the mountains to like hand him the award. Um, oh yeah, because he was was that the year he grew all the hair too yeah, in the main yeah, and everything. He went missing. Yeah. Right. Um, but like obviously after that, from 2007, then it was all American winners, and then the last four years you've seen Giannis win back to back and Jokic win back to back, and you know we've got Embiid in the conversation, and you know if the Mavericks could ever build a decent team around Dallas, you obviously have Luca in the conversation. So yeah. no, I, I think I think it's cool, and I think it's cool to have these 
debates, like just thinking about the first segment as well, like, I mean, I came into it like thinking like the narrative was like very like Jokic heavy, mm-hmm. but like the way you guys presented the cases, like, yeah, I really think it's going to come down to, to, I think the votes are going to be really split like towards the end. I hope so. Cause I actually don't want like, well, you know, the other thing that too, that we don't really mention is I, I really feel like, um, the NBA in particular falls into groupthink really often. Mm. I don't mean groupthink in like a, like it's some sort of just like a weakness on everyone's parts, but I do feel like for a lot of people, they look at it, they're like, this is hard. Okay, who's the smartest guy in the room? We'll copy that answer. Mm-hmm. And that's why I, I mentioned it last year when we were doing propaganda episodes, but if Zach Lowe puts his vote towards you, um, I feel like a lot of people just default to the smartest guy in the room in the NBA, which for me, I'm just like, yo, don't be afraid to be wrong. Like, I, I love the fact that in the year where LeBron was unanimous MVP, except for when Gary Washburn was like, nah, man, Melo, what he did for the Knicks in 2013, <laughs> that was he. That's my GOAT. Like, I actually I like that. I appreciate that's what That's the whole point of voting in the first place. You vote with your preferences. That's how a democracy works. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't want to hear from, like, the thought leader. <laughs> the most political Zach episode Lowe. ever, man. No, no offense, man, but I thought this is America. You know what I mean? Like, anyway. Yeah, so, so, just, so just don't, don't just copy Zach Lowe. So I'm actually calling out all voters. Like, just don't copy Zach Lowe, Okay, please. so whatever Zach does, um, vote a different person this year. If, no, if just you be your own vote. Just be your own person. Like, think critically on the game. You're, you're clearly got to vote because you're very involved in the game. Mm-hmm. Use your knowledge and your preferences to vote for a guy. And then at the end of the day, just live with it. There's no wrong answers here. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Um, yeah. Before we get to the Raptors-Nuggets game tonight that I know everyone's very excited about, um, in terms of the other awards, mm. uh, are there ones that stand out to you that's interesting to you or anything that you want to point out of the other races? Um, okay, so I think Rookie of the Year is decided for sure. Um, I think Coach of the Year mostly is decided. I think it's going to be Mike Brown. Mm. Um, I think J.B. Bickerstaff and Mike Malone are also guys who should be in the mix. But to be honest, I just feel like Mike Brown, what he's doing is historic with that club. Mm-hmm. Um, the ones that are very interesting to me are who's going to win Sixth Man of the Year and also Defensive Player of the Year. Defensive Player of the Year, I really only see two candidates at the very top. It's Jaron Jackson Jr., the set. Yeah, who's game set match. Three blocks per game. And by the way, held up to the allegations, all right? Allegations... Oh, like, the Reddit allegations? Yo, he went to Reddit court, and, and he won, man. Free my man, Jaron Jackson Jr. <laughs> That's the only allegations the Grizzlies have beaten this season <laughs> so far. So if we're tracking that. <laughs> you know what? That's fair. Yeah. I feel like he gets you extra points. But I feel like Brooke Lopez is also having such a good defensive season as well. I mean, like, on a team with Giannis on it, he's actually the more important defensive player. Mm-hmm. And also with Drew Holiday on that team, too. It's just very impressive to me. Um, six man is like I think just looking at it really quickly, I was like, I don't know who to pick in this in this situation. It's like Norm Powell at seventeen points per yeah. game or like Benedict Matherin at sixteen point nine. I don't know if a rookie of the year has won six man, by the way, or like not a rookie of the year, but like a, a rookie, rookie has, right? I has won say, six man. I, I wanna say no, but I think you're doing it properly in that six man is literally just who scores no, the most it's, it's off which, the bench. It's which guard scores the most off the bench. Because yeah. the guys I have here are Benedict Matherin at 17 a game, Norm at 17 a game, Malcolm Brogdon at 15 a game, Malik Monk at 14 a game, which feels low based on the way I'm watching the mm. Kings. And then your guy. My you, guy IQ. You insisted on IQ yeah, at 12 per quickly. game. But, I, just, you know. I just think Emmanuel quickly is a nice player, man. So Is it because you've won, watched six basketball games If we ever Nick get Celtics into trade talks um, with the Knicks, you know, let's definitely try to get IQ yeah. over here. Because I want to say in general, we just need more IQ on this team. Um, exec of the year, you have James Jones here. Um, yeah. I'm going to push back against that. Why? 
Danny Ainge, man. Danny Ainge got all those picks. Oh, I don't care about like, that. Like, I feel like that's a W for him. Here's the thing. In a year where Kevin Durant was available, one GM got Kevin Durant. But you know what? You know? He didn't even... James Jones didn't even close the deal. It was Matt Ishbia. He's the one who made the call to our boy Joe Sy and got it done. I don't know. For me... <laughs> you know what? You Joe Sy should get exec of the year because he has set the entire landscape of, of, of the NBA for years. I believe if you land the biggest fish every year... Or for that yeah, year. Yeah, except for the year Masai did. Well, that's yeah. why I think Masai should have won it. Yeah. Instead of um, what, no. whatever the guy's name is. In, <laughs> yeah, we don't Milwaukee, even know. John Horst. John Horst? Yeah. Come on, man. Like, first of all, that's a very, <laughs> what, a, what a name, man. The, the guy's name sounds like a sausage. Oh, man. Anyways, and now it's time for Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. The Toronto Raptors open their three-game homestand tonight against the Denver Nuggets. You know, let's get our boy JR involved here. JR, what is the spread for tonight's game, and who's on the injury report? So the Raptors are one-point favorites heading into their home game against the Denver Nuggets. Delano Banton is doubtful. Otto Porter Jr. is out. Jeff Downing Jr., Ron Harper Jr., and Joe Wieskamp are with the G League team. For the Denver Nuggets, Reggie Jackson is probable for tonight's game, and Jamal Murray is questionable with left knee injury management. So who do you got for tonight's game? Look, I think the Nuggets are very clearly not the same team um, on the road as they are at home, right? Um, not to say that Jokic is an altitude merchant, but, you know, like, I do feel like you could just look at their road home splits. Um, that's not to say they're a terrible team on the road. They're 16 and 16 on the road, so yeah, you do have a right. point. Yeah. So I, I think the Raptors should be favorites in this one for me, in my eyes, to win the game. Um, I think for me, looking at the Raptors, they had a great game plan for Jokic the last time out. We'll see if the Raptors adapt that game plan much at all. To be honest, if they ran back the same game plan, I think they would have a pretty good shot at it. Of course, Denver is probably going to have more opportunities to flip it around and sort of reevaluate the matchup. But I think for me, like the Raptors should have won in Denver. And if they play in the same way, and I didn't see anything in that game that was unsustainable in terms of like, it was like the Raptors are shooting the lights out or anything. I think the Raptors can take it. I think the biggest determinant is which crappy bench is going <laughs> to play better. Because to me, it's like if the Raptors bench actually outplays Denver's bench, then to me, I think it's almost like a guaranteed win. Yeah. Um, uh, I've never seen someone pick the Raptors so much in a season where they're 32 <laughs> and 36. I'm going to go with the Nuggets here. They've lost three in a row. Okay. Uh, as Will has always mentioned, you know, the Raptors are the game for, for people to get right. So I'm going to go with Denver and uh, we'll see who's right tonight. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see tonight's game. But uh, that does it for us today. I've been your host, Will Liu, and you've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review the show. A reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. Thanks once again to James Herbert, producer and co-host Alex Wong, our board producer, Derek Brandeo, J.R. Manitad with the assist, uh, helping us record this episode, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Yeah.